a garden, a kiss, and betrayal. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Hey, thank you for joining us in our podcast as Mary and I have another conversation about an event in the life of Jesus. Mary, do you remember a few years ago when we were in a cave enjoying walking through the cave, enjoying seeing the stalactites and stalagmites and all the formations you see in the cave. And I remember at one point, they turned out the lights. Yeah, I do remember that. And if you've ever been in a cave and they turn out the lights, it's darker than dark. I cannot describe just how dark it is. It's so dark, you can almost feel the darkness. Can't it, see, you can't see your hand in front of you. And you begin to feel disoriented very quickly and you begin to feel all alone, even though that you were there right next to me, and you just felt like you were the only one in this vast, dark universe. And you can get scared pretty quick in a cave with no light. Well, there's nothing worse. As humans, we want companionship. We want to be around people. Yes, we want our times to ourselves, but we would not want to face life all alone without people around us to share the joys, the ups, and and also the sorrows. Friends are very important. Companions are very important. And, and in today's event in the life of Jesus, Jesus is having to face something very difficult, and he's having to do it alone. Our story today is in Matthew chapter 26, and we'll be looking at and talking about verses 30 to 56. But at the beginning of the chapter, we're told that Jesus knows what's going to happen that he will be betrayed, he'll be killed and put on a cross. We're told also that the religious officials have been plotting and planning and looking for the opportunity to arrest him, but they needed to wait for the right time to do that. And then we're also told that it's Judas, one of Jesus's followers, who went to the chief priests and who said, I can give him to you for money, for 30 pieces of silver. And they probably could not believe what they were hearing just gave them the opportunity they were wanting to have. So this story that we're talking about is the momentum here is one of betrayal. There's this plot. Jesus' own friend is about to give him over to the authorities, and Jesus knows all this. He knows what's coming. He knows, yes, betrayal is bad. All of these things are bad. I don't want to be alone, but I'm going to have to face this alone. So everything about this is hard. In fact, in all of history, if you were to put a timeline of all of time, what's happening right now in the life of Jesus is the most momentous, is the most poignant. This is the crucial time that God is allowing his son to die on a cross for the sins of the world. So this time leading up to this is just even more sinister, I guess you could say, because of the plot going on, the betrayal going on. But Jesus says to his friends who are still with him, you're going to leave me. You're going to lose your faith. You're going to leave me. And they just, they didn't know the future. You know, they they couldn't imagine. They couldn't imagine they would in any way, leave their friend. 
they would stand by Jesus. Peter makes a point to say, hey, everybody else may lose their faith, but I'm not going to lose my faith. I'll be with you. Talk is cheap, and I'm sure Peter meant it. Peter did love Jesus. He was committed to Jesus. And I am sure that he meant these words, but he was probably naive. He wasn't prepared for what is going to happen. No, Jesus knows what is going to happen, and he knows how hard it will be for him. He himself is going to have to go to the Father and pray and pray and pray about this. He doesn't want this to happen. This is the hardest thing he's faced here on earth. And if it's hard for Jesus, how much harder would it be for his followers to stand up and go through this? So Jesus says, you know, Peter, in fact, you will deny me. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows, which I'm guessing, David, means before morning when the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter would have been just, can't imagine him just kind of crossing his arms and shaking his head and said, this can't be. And yet, Jesus and his followers go to the Mount of Olives. They move from the place where they were celebrating the Passover together, where they had the Last Supper, and now they're in the Mount of Olives, where olive trees are grown, obviously, around Jerusalem. This would have been a place they would have visited before. But they then move to Gethsemane. And David, you were saying earlier the Garden of Gethsemane means something about olives, right? Well, it means oil press. It's a place where they harvested the olives and then pressed them. Into olive oil. Olive oil. Right. Jesus is beginning to feel the weight, the squeeze of the night bearing down on him. What he needs, he needs his followers to be with him at this time. And he seeks counsel and comfort and strength from the Father to do the right thing. He knows what is transpiring, what is unfolding, uh, even at this time. So he needs his disciples to pray too. So he goes into this garden. He takes three of his disciples to go with him in the inner part of the garden. He tells them to sit over there while I pray. He tells them to watch. I find that interesting. He's not sure exactly what. When I was reading this, I thought, well, is their job to watch for the bad people that are coming? Or is it just to watch Jesus? You know, does he want that company? Does he want them to be with him. Yes, he's alone in prayer, but he wants his friends around him. I don't know if that's actually clear here. Maybe it's both. I think I would want my friends with me. You know, when I was in this difficult time, and I would want them close. So Jesus just wanting them close, but his main agenda here is to talk to his father. It Friends leaving you is a terrible thing. Friends not being with you or letting you down is a terrible thing, but always we can turn to God in prayer. And that's what Jesus does. Here Jesus prays the same prayer three times. He says, if it's your will, Father, let this cup pass from me. And the cup is referring to suffering and death. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to face this. And he asks God, to find another way. Let this cup pass from me. So he's agonizing in prayer. I find this heartbreaking. I love God so much. I love Jesus. I love everything he stands for. 
And the way he is described here, he's very sad and troubled. Of course, we're reading from a children's version, so it's putting that in simple language. He's very sad and troubled. He says, my heart is full of sorrow and breaking with sadness. He is so sad. And how many times, David, I don't know about you, but I've gone to to God in prayer, and I'm the sad one. (laughs) You know, I'm going to him. But here's Jesus in all of his sadness. He's really honest here. He's raw. I I think sometimes we think we might shock God with our feelings, our emotions, but God is not shocked by this, I'm sure. Earlier, we were talking, and you had pointed out that you were noticing all the emotional words. There's a lot of emotion going on. Jesus was fully human, and his humanity really comes out at this time. He agonizes in prayer. It says that he threw himself to the ground. I know there's some painting, some famous painting of Jesus in the garden, sort of with a serene look on his face, looking up. Kneeling. Yeah, looking up to heaven. Yeah. But in in reality, he threw himself on the ground, and he he was hurting in the garden. He allowed himself to be totally vulnerable. He wasn't trying to put on any kind of face. He was just speaking right from his heart to his father. That's right. He is deeply agitated, and his body is reacting to his emotional distress. This was Jesus at his weakest, and so he prays. He prays, not in the end, not my will, but yours be done. And that's that's the key. Not my will, but yours be done. And someone has said, The Garden of Gethsemane is the reversal of the Garden of Eden. That's what our prayers ought to be, is not my will be done, but yours will be done. I mean, if it was Jesus' will, he wouldn't go to the cross, but the Father's will took priority. It's interesting. He doesn't face this, like I said before, like Peter. He's like saying, hey, I can do this. Jesus does not assume that he can do this without the Father. He knows he needs the Father to do the Father's will. He is walking arm in arm with God through this. He wants God with him, and he wants to be with God and in God's will. It's a beautiful, beautiful example of prayer. This is such an extreme situation, but it does show me how I can pray, that I can fully lay myself out in front of my Father. I can, I can let Him see every fear I have, every emotion I have. He can handle that, and He will walk with me. Oh, what a great example. I think we all want to pray in a meaningful way. And I think this is Jesus being raw and open with His Father, but also If those disciples had been awake, (laughs) they could have seen this kind of prayer that Jesus was praying. Here's an example of of someone who is in deep prayer, bearing his heart, holding nothing back, exposing his fears and his hurt and his grief because he knows of the gravity of the situation, the seriousness of the situation, the weight, and yet someone else can just be totally oblivious of what's going on with this person. Fast asleep. The disciples mean well, but they were weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus said. 
Well, the Spirit is willing. They do want to stand by Jesus. They aren't turning their backs to Jesus at this point. They're just not able to handle this, whether it's their sorrow, their anguish, their exhaustion. They do not stand with Jesus in this moment when he specifically asks them to. Earlier, Jesus talked to Peter and he said, you'll deny me three times. But in a way, I look at these three disciples falling asleep three times. It's already happening. They're distancing themselves, not on purpose, but through sleep. They're letting him down. And this is just going to happen again and again, bigger and bigger. As we said, this night, even though it was filled with prayer between Jesus and his Father, it was couched in betrayal and people leaving and leaving Jesus alone. That's the other plot going on at the same time. They don't realize it, but their whole life is going to change on this night. Jesus' life is going to change on this night, but theirs is too. So even as they're sleeping, Judas is making his way with the soldiers that are with him to the garden where he knows Jesus, where he will be. And the disciples just don't know what's going on. Well, Jesus actually tells them, hey, the one's coming. This is about to happen. He knew Judas was on his way. And when you describe that group of people with Judas, and the scripture here says they have swords and clubs, that must have been a a scary thing. This group of people all coming to this quiet garden at night to, it turns out, arrest Jesus. They were after Jesus, and Judas did what he said he would do. He showed them where Jesus was. He came up to Jesus, addressed him as rabbi. He did that deed. He kissed him on the cheek. A kiss. A kiss. A kiss of death, I guess you'd say. A kiss of betrayal. Because when you think of a kiss, that was a greeting. That was fellowship. That was expressing so many good emotions. And yet Judas used that affection to betray his teacher and his friend. It was terrible. The Scripture never does tell us why Judas did this. We know earlier he liked money. He already arranged with the chief priest to be paid for this. We already know Judas has a problem with money. I was thinking, David, about when the woman anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive oil. And in the book of John, when he records that, he says that Judas complained about it and said, oh, she's wasting her money on that oil. That money could be used to feed the poor. But Judas was actually saying that because he wanted to keep that money because Judas was dipping into the treasury. He was using that money. It looks like with him approaching the ones that were plotting against Jesus, he brought up money. He's the one that wanted that money. Money got him. Now, and money is the beginning of betrayal a lot of times. People will do a lot of bad things for money. Yep, so maybe he did it just for the money. Maybe he got disillusioned with the way Jesus' ministry was going. It wasn't as he expected, and so he decided to betray his master. Or maybe he believed that this act of betrayal would ignite the spark to get the revolution going. 
So maybe that was the reason. We just don't know why he did it, but whatever it was, it wasn't good. It was the worst act of betrayal. It really was. In sort of a vain attempt to help the situation, you have one of Jesus' followers. We learn in other Gospels it was Peter took a sword, and however he was aiming, he cut the ear off of the high priest's servant. He was starting a bit of a fight here. And remember, they had swords. They had clubs. It was night. So this could have gone very badly. And Jesus puts a stop to it. With this sword, we already know that the disciples were expecting a fight. Earlier when they're going into Jerusalem, James says, let us go there and die with them. They were expecting some kind of battle. And the disciples are right in that there is a battle to be won in bringing in the kingdom. But it isn't the battle that you fight with swords. This is Jesus's battle alone, and it will culminate on the cross. But his battle is not against flesh and blood. Well, he so poignantly says, you know, I could call in all the armies of angels I wanted. If this was to be a battle, I have plenty of resources to fight the battle in this way. He had that power, but he told Peter to put his sword away. And he does. He allows himself to be arrested. He doesn't put up any resistance. And then his followers run away. Oh, it's just as Jesus said. We opened this by Jesus saying to his followers, you are going to lose your faith. You are going to leave me. And they couldn't believe that would happen. But here we are at the end of this section in verse 56. Then all of Jesus' followers left him and ran away. I mean, is that the saddest thing you've ever read? (laughs) I mean, they all just left. And that's where we'll leave this story today. I mean, this story is a continual story. I mean, we're going to learn what happens next after Jesus was arrested. And we're going to learn about Peter and his denial further information on that. But right now, David, as we're reading this really sad, difficult passage today, what what are you going to be doing in the adult class to help bring this to mind, help them learn and understand and feel this situation? Well, if you use PowerPoint to teach this lesson, you can include a picture of an old olive tree. Since this story takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane, ask the class, how old do you think this tree to be? And the oldest olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane today has been dated to be about a thousand years old. And so you let the class guess. And just note that when Jesus was in the garden, there were probably olive trees there that were really, really old. That's something you can do in the class, just connect olive trees with the garden You can bring to class also a photo of an old olive tree, and then you can ask the class to take a sticky note or a piece of paper and write on the note one of your fears. And then for them to go up to the picture of the olive tree and just stick that note with the fear written on it onto the olive tree. And when everyone is finished with that, then you can instruct everyone to grab one of the notes and then gather in a circle and then pray for that fear that someone has written down on that note. And so everyone can have their fears prayed for. And then one other thing you you can do is 
Since this lesson is also about betrayal, you can ask a couple of discussion questions. Have you ever been betrayed? And how did that make you feel? And how did you respond to that? I love those ideas, David. I like the interactive nature of those activities. I think adults, just like children, really enjoy those kind of things. Sam, this is a really a heavy lesson. So, yeah, what can children get from this? How can it apply to them? How can they relate to it? Well, you're right. It is heavy. I mean, there's no way to get around that. But children do understand the fear of being alone. They do understand what it means when your friends are not nice to you or your friends don't stick around when times are hard. They, they do understand that. So they do have an understanding of this story. They understand what it means to talk to God when you're very, very sad. So all of those elements are still there for children. I will say just as an aside, okay, here's one of my dream Bible class moments. Wouldn't this be so great to tell this story like at a camp or outside and actually be in a garden at night or out in the forest at night amongst trees? Wouldn't this be a wonderful story to tell in that kind of setting? But like I said, that's one of my dream things. I dream things like that all the time, how cool that would be. For children, I'm not sure if a lot of children would be familiar with the word betrayal. And so I'd want to make sure they understand what that means, because that's what this story is about in a lot of ways. I might, to young children, talk about, well, like if you're playing hide and seek, and you've got the best hiding spot, but your brother comes along and says, hey, look, there's where she's hiding. You know, that would be betraying. That would be telling someone information that would ruin things for you. And that's what betrayal is. It would be like someone coming to hurt you and you being in a safe spot, but somebody tells them where your safe spot is. It's that idea of giving information that will cause harm to you. And that's what Judas did. He betrayed in that way. He told everybody where Jesus was so that they could hurt him. So I'd want to do that. There's a beautiful YouTube clip, and I'll put the link in the show notes. But this little girl, Claire Crosby, she has a lot of video clips online. She is very little at the time that video was made, and she's singing Gethsemane. And she sings a song, and it's just so beautiful, so meaningful. I have actually shown that to a group of children, and they were just spellbound by it, by this little girl singing about Gethsemane. So I think that one's really good. Hey, what about serving some olives, <laughs> eating some olives during this story, or looking at olive oil? It's a bit of a side note on this, but it does bring some more understanding to the story. It would be a mistake to think that we should never talk to children about the hard things that we should just tell them things in the Bible that are happy, clappy, fun, light. We should not shy away from talking about these deep and important things. We shouldn't tell them in a way that causes nightmares or takes the peace away from children. 
We should be careful how we tell things and and in a way that is age appropriate. But don't be afraid to talk to children about these important things because they can understand that. The main thing is they know we can talk to God about it. We can tell God everything. We can go to God even if our friends let us down. If bad things happen, we can talk to God. And for children, for me, (laughs) that, David, is still the lesson. I mean, I take that with me as I walk into that classroom and I greet those children. I want them to know that. And that's what I would take with me as I teach children. And may God bless you as you speak into the lives of adults and children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.